And our what, you know, the outcome, again, going back to Simon Sinek's model, if, if you understand your why and you build the right how, the what is the result of your work, we believe will be better business results. We believe it will lead to increased innovation, rewards and recognition, and not the least of which, and I probably saved the best for last, we will increase trust, which is a huge focus for us, well-being and engagement. Welcome to Leveling Up, where you'll learn from leading experts in talent development and explore how leaders in some of the world's most successful businesses approach employee development, manager training, and more. Please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. You can also listen on our website at levelingup.co. Leveling Up is made possible by Marlowe. Marlowe enables you to support your managers and emerging leaders with twice monthly sessions led by Marlowe's expert management development coaches. Partnering with their coaches, Marlowe members focus on the skills that matter most to them. Skills like communication, time management, people management, strategic awareness, and more. Support your managers and emerging leaders wherever they are in their journey with Marlowe's one-to-one coaching and training. Head to getmarlowe.com for more information. All right. Well, hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. Today, I am here with Tim Russell, the head of learning and development at Magic Leap. Tim, thanks so much for being here. You're welcome. Excited. I'd love to kick us off by learning a little bit more about your journey to Magic Leap, how you ended up in learning and development and kind of the the big high level of how you got to where you are today. Sure. How far would you like me to go back? If you could start at kindergarten, great. (laughs) First the earth cooled. (laughs) Yeah. No, I mean, I guess, how did you get into learning and development? I was aware of my interest in this line of work from a really early age. Actually, my best friend's mother was in organizational development, and she became a mentor to me in grade school, almost. She would practice things on us like psychometric tools. I remember taking the Myers-Briggs assessments as a freshman in high school, and it just got the hook in me. I'm like, this is what I'm meant to do. That is so incredible. Can we just pause on how, what would the world look like if every freshman in high school understood? Right. A little bit more about themselves and their impact and their traits. And yeah, yeah, it it really was great. As an aside, shiny object, I just went on vacation with my kids. And for whatever reason, they asked me during one of the breakfasts while we were sitting in this beautiful restaurant in Hawaii to like assess them. And I was using Myers-Briggs and DISC type questions to help them learn more about themselves. And did they know this or did they just yeah, think, this is did. dad doing work? They, they did. They're like, wow, it's, you know, cool, dad. That's what you do. They pay That's you to so- do that. <laughs> <laughs> what a fun, fun career to have. What is your role look like at Magic Leap? I, I am the head of learning and development. My team is responsible for managing education, everything from employee development to leadership development. We also own the performance management process. And so when we were, were chatting before and, and in my research, I saw that Magic Leap has changed quite a bit over the years. Can you give, for those of our listeners who aren't familiar with Magic Leap, what does the company do and how has that changed over the years? Sure. Well, I've only been in Magic Leap for a year, so I'll do my best to provide some historical context and I've experienced the company from what I would say is the, the second act or the, the refreshed experience. Magic Leap is an augmented reality company. Our goal is to influence and win the metaverse. We are competing with organizations to figure it out, to, to bring the best tool, to offer solutions that will change the world. 
And we began as a consumer facing product. And oftentimes when I communicate to people that I work for an augmented reality organization, they assume that we're making games. And that was true at one point. But a couple of years ago, we decided to shift the business model and to become enterprise facing. So now the application of augmented reality is more in tune with practical application in business. Things like you might be a doctor and you might put a pair of magic leap goggles on and be able to practice real time on a patient you're going to operate on. Uh, or in a recent really interesting application and a case that we did with firefighters in California, firefighters might use goggles to understand the topography of a mountain that they're fighting fires on and have instant access to data in their glasses, wind patterns, how the fire spreading, heat, where their peers and colleagues are fighting the fire, things of that nature. And it's, you know, nothing short of revolutionary and game changing, no pun intended. Game changing without the gaming. That's really incredible. So the company has of course shifted in the just before you arrived and in the past year as well. And can you describe, you know, the role that as you're focusing on this shift, how does learning development support? So what programs are you rolling out? My primary focus and the reason that I came to Magic Leap was to help build the people building the platform. And it's it's a it's a wonderful reality of the type of work that I do. And, and I've I've been lucky enough to be in a lot of different fields, everything from coffee to video games to technology. And in some ways, I can almost be agnostic to the product if my goal is to build the best leaders or build the best employees. There, of course, are some technical skills that we build as well. But my job is to help bring out the best in people. And one of the first things that I did when I arrived at Magic Leap was worked with our executive team and asked them what they needed. You know, why am I here? And what was born from that became a learning philosophy, which was essentially to build opportunities and experiences to help people grow and to attract employees, to motivate and retain the best talents, keep people engaged. The initiatives, you know, are, are probably predictable in, in nature, you know, performance processes, educational experiences. But really, when it comes down to it, it's about bringing out the best in people to keep their skills relevant and fresh. I really love that. And I, I, it's one of those topics that's come up a lot lately in how do you build that partnership within the organization so they look to you for that resource and they know to seek you out. I have a way of going rogue with my questions here, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm curious, you know, how do you make sure that that partnership with the executive team is strong and like what's important there? And then I have more follow-on questions. Sure, sure. I, I, I've learned pretty consistently throughout my career. And frankly, if I'm being honest through making mistakes, that unless you have executive buy-in in support of any learning and development initiative, it's, it's not necessarily bound to fail, but it's certainly not going to be a, a win. And so when I began, even during my interview process, I was really careful to ask questions about the executive team's commitment to learning and development. And I'll give you one example. So our, our learning philosophy actually has a line in it 
about how learning and teaching are a part of the employee experience and the expectation of every leaper's job is to learn. And this was an interesting line in the philosophy. Some of the executives gave me feedback that this was great and that you know we absolutely wanted to build this type of culture. And a couple didn't necessarily balk at the comments, but they did ask the question, is this really true? Is learning and development an expectation of every leaper's job? And finally, it was Peggy Johnson, our CEO, that didn't literally bang her fist on the table, but, but made very clear that this line stayed and that the culture that we're building at Magic Leap is that learning is the expectation of every leaper's job. And that, that was almost all I needed to hear during my onboarding experience, that if that's, if that's what the CEO believes, then I'm here and I'm all in to help create that. Without it, it's it's impossible to get the budget and the support. Over, right. right? Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm with you. I really love that line. And I think that it should become more and more the norm within organizations. The fact that this is today and probably for the next few years, a conversation of do we really need that? Is that the th is interesting. Hopefully it'll change in the future. Not only has it been a philosophy to hang a hat on. It also has been a little bit of decision-making criteria and likewise a credibility tool. When I've been in conversations with people that often will try to identify if learning should be a priority compared to building the widget, there's a tension, there's a natural tension. Nevertheless, if an organization like Magic Leap puts a stake in the ground and says that learning is an expectation of every leaper's job, oh, and by the way, the CEO wrote this line, it's a lot easier to say, yep, you can prioritize this learning experience over building the widget. Doesn't mean the widget, you know, you're going to sacrifice building the widget, but you should prioritize learning in addition to your job. How does that impact and I know this is going on beyond your specific day-to-day, -day, but how does that impact recruitment for the company? This idea that learning is at the forefront of what you're doing. You know, the learning philosophy has only, this particular learning philosophy has only been in place for a year. So it's, it's difficult to say. What I can say is that I think that there's sort of a one-two punch about recruiting at Magic Leap. It's cutting edge technology. And if, if you are a technologist and looking to work on, on innovation that's going to change the planet and the history of the world, like it, it's kind of a no-brainer. It's an easy sell. But the addition of a philosophy like, if you come to Magic Leap, you will not only be building world-class technology, but we're also going to invest in your future and we prioritize your growth. It's, it's a nice one-two punch. I can imagine it attracts the people who want to continue being at that cutting edge of, of innovation. Sure. You've been busy and you've been building out <laughs> your performance excellence program. I'd love to hear more about that and how it became to be. Yes. Thank you for asking. It's, it's work I'm really proud of. I've, I've been a part of performance management for, you know, 20 plus years in different variety of ways. And at Magic Leap, it's one of the first times that I've really been able to start from scratch and utilize my, my, my career and my experience to help influence outcomes. 
I think for the very first time, with due respect to, to hopefully the wonderful work that's happened in other organizations that I've been a part of, what's unique about what I've helped to influence at Magic Leap is that it hasn't just been an HR initiative, that when we set out to influence performance management at Magic Leap, we started with employees and we started with the voice of the people. And this was also a conversation with the executive team where we in HR said, sure, we'll help to revise the performance process. However, it can't come from us. We'll support it, we'll help design, but it has to include focus groups. It has to include an employee design team that's composed of individual contributors, managers, and leaders. It has to be vetted and tested by employees. So that when we launch this thing, we can stand in front of people with full confidence and say, this was created for the people and by the people. Uh, I guess I've given you more about how, you know, the background of how it was created as opposed to what it is, but that was the start. And how has that evolved since then? What does it look like today? Yeah. So it, it was really cool. The whole, the whole process was fun. We start, started with focus groups. We heard about the good and the bad of the ugly, about what performance management has looked like at Magic Leap in the past. Not surprisingly, we, we heard things that we thought we would hear. For example, people had a preference for meaningful conversations more than forms. They thought we had an opportunity to do feedback more effectively. They weren't super crazy about the end of year review process. These are, these are predictable you know, data points that, that we thought we would hear. What started to emerge from the employee design team were questions about how we could honor the DNA and the secret sauce of Magic Leap's culture, but to overlay innovative performance management best practices on top of it. So we started doing some benchmarking and we looked at a lot of different organizations about the way they've done performance management in the past. It, it was really fun to comb through the research. You know, we, we actually started with the way the U.S. Army did performance management in the 50s, about how they introduced the merit rating system to flag and dismiss poor performance. Then we got into the GE Jack Welsh era, you know, where companies would champion force ranking, you know, reward the top performers, push out the, those at the bottom. We got into the 2000s when organizations got a little flatter and tried to decrease, you know, number of direct reports, you know, decrease that span of control. And we kind of got into the modern ways of how companies have experimented with performance management, like some companies trying to fully drop appraisals and drop numbers ratings. But then what we learned is that even the companies that have dropped performance ratings and appraisals have slowly begun to migrate back to them. But what they've learned is that in fact, it is more important to focus on meaningful conversations, coaching, feedback, and not just rely on a rating in order to evaluate and inspire performance. And then of course, probably needless to say, we also had a heavy focus on continuous performance rather than just one event at the end of the year. I, I have more, but let me pause. There, there's, you know, I can get to the, the model and how we, how we actually started to land the plane, but I've been speaking for a while. I'll, I'll take a breath. No problem at all. This is great. I, I really, there's a big part of me that wants to jump into your, your research. You know, I think, I think it is interesting to see the shifts over time. You mentioned continuous performance, and I think that's, that's a really interesting topic that's very, live and around it's how do we make sure that we're 
making progress toward our goals today and not just waiting until the end of the performance cycle to say, hey, by the way, you've been kind of failing for three months. So so what does continuous performance look like at Magic Leap? Sure. We looked at a lot of different models. We ran across, and actually I've, I've been a great fan of Simon Sinek's work for years, the golden circle. And ultimately, we landed on an adoption of Simon Sinek's golden circle to start with why. Why is performance management important at Magic Leap? And we landed on, and subsequently then we talked about what the how was and what the what, what would be. The why of performance management at Magic Leap is to foster an environment where we perform at our best, we live our mission, vision, and values, and we achieve growth. And it's almost patronizingly simple, but there's a beauty, there's an elegance in the simplicity. To perform at your best, to live our mission, vision, and values, you know, again, going back to that DNA, that secret sauce of what we've been and who we will be, and to achieve growth are simple elements that are almost unassailable. Employees really can't argue against the why driving why performance management is important. Then we moved to the how. How are we going to do this? And to, to your question, how do we build a model that inspires continuous improvement rather than one event at the end of the year? It begins with clear roles, goals, and paths. So our employees need to understand why they're on the hook and managers have to set clear expectations about what employees should and are doing, should be and, and what they're doing. Likewise, we tried to replace the reliance upon forms to more frequent conversations, check-ins, feedback, and coaching among three very important tools to build that continuous muscle. So these are conversations happening throughout the year, not just one time at the end of the year. And our what, you know, the outcome, again, going back to Simon Sinek's model, if, if you understand your why and you build the right how, the what is the result of your work, we believe will be better business results. We believe it will lead to increased innovation, rewards and recognition, and not the least of which, and I probably saved the best for last, we will increase trust, which is a huge focus for us, well-being and engagement. And I honestly, like I probably should have just said trust, well-being, and engagement. That, that really is where the rubber meets the road and, and frankly, what people care about most. How do you define trust, well-being, and engagement? Yeah, yeah. Well, we're, we're in the process. You know, there's probably a lot of different ways. I'm a big fan of the trust equation, if you're familiar with that formula. And, and, and I don't know. I mean, maybe what you're asking, Mary, is philosophically how we define trust, well-being, and engagement as opposed to the actual model of each. Yeah, I'm curious, like, how the employees are, how are you, how are you presenting it to your, your team members who, who read it that way? You know, like, what does it mean for them? Because I think we've gotten, even internally within Marlowe, we've gotten into this conversation around, like, what does it mean to develop trust with our clients, with our stakeholders, with our, et cetera. And that, that conversation can go in a lot of ways. Yeah. Admittedly, this, this part of we by the way, we call this entire experience performance excellence at Magic Leap. So the performance excellence process is rolling out in phases. And the first phase literally only launched this April. So we are 
one month or two months into performance excellence in its current form. So we still have a lot of work to do. But I, I did mention, you know, how, how do we define, how do we define trust, and how are we going to to measure? And I mentioned the trust equation. I, I realize you're probably not not looking for a model as much as you are the the you know the feeling, or maybe maybe you're looking for the model. I was just, I, so I was looking for the feeling, but I, as you say it, I think that our listeners are like if they aren't familiar with the trust equation are currently moving away from our episode, Googling what's the trust equation. Yeah. Yeah. It's so great. So here's, so here's what it is. It literally is an equation and it is credibility plus reliability plus intimacy over self-orientation is the equation that equals trustworthiness. So credibility, reliability, and intimacy over self-orientation. I always forget my math. I can't remember which is the numerator and which is the denominator, but it literally is an equation. And there is a way to define and measure each of those behaviors, credibility, reliability, and intimacy over self-orientation, which of course has a lot to do with ego and how you are presenting yourself to the world, putting others before yourself. In some ways, it's almost an equation for effective leadership. Um, you know, they're not, they're not necessarily synonyms, trust and leadership, but they cer certainly do go hand in hand and you can't, you can't really be a leader if you, if you're not trustworthy. So it's a great tool. And while, you know, in foresight, if anyone from Magic Leap is going to listen to this podcast, they may even go, what's the trust equation? Because we haven't launched it in, in the form that I've described, but in my mind, I think that, that something like the trust equation or perhaps even the exact model that I've described will be a big part of how we measure performance excellence effectiveness. And I should add that when we talked before the show, you shared that this was the very early stages of performance excellence. And I said, great, let's get you on to talk about the process for getting up here. And so here you are to this very beginning stages, just rolled it out. Thank you so much for being willing to share that journey, that process. As I, I'm, I'd love to just bring you back a year from now and figure out how did that go and uh, yep, let's do to it. dive back in. And so you mentioned earlier that you did a lot of user research and you referenced your employee design team I think for a lot, especially the smaller companies who are listening, that sounds like an amazing luxury. Can you walk through how did the, the tactical pieces of interviewing your employees and really understanding what it is they needed, interviewing your leadership team, understanding what they expected? Like, what were the tactical pieces of this project? It definitely was a chronological process that began with the learning philosophy. We, we had to set the stage and build a little credibility. I, I had to earn the trust and credibility of the people that I was working with so that they would feel comfortable to communicate truth because some of the questions we were asking them were tough. You know, we, we, we actually wanted to hear the good, the bad, and the ugly. And, and a lot of times the ugly is a tough story to tell if you're an employee, especially if you've got executives in the room or, or HR leaders in the room. So it began with trust building, going back to trust. Then tactically, it, it started with focus groups, and we did our best to get a good sample size microcosm representation of the company using you know, different demographics, everything from tenure to age to, well, the diversity demographics that you might imagine. So we had a good sample size. And we, we, we really just had conversations to start with. We also were pretty careful to 
asked questions that honored both the employee experience as well as the manager experience. And following focus groups, we dug into the data. We also identified a design team using similar diverse demographics, trying to get people that knew the company, also new employees, people that knew the secret sauce of Magic Leap, but also people that weren't influenced by it. So their historical you know, data wouldn't you know, prevent creative thinking based on you know, a, an emotional connection to the past. And we broke the design experience out over a couple of months. And we, we really did iterate. We began, tactically, the design experience began with a performance philosophy, not to build philosophy upon philosophy. Yes, we do have a learning philosophy. Yes, we also have a performance philosophy. But we started with a performance philosophy, which led to subsequent conversations about the model. And I described the, the Simon Sinek-ish golden circle. That's our model. That then led to the conversation around what elements we wanted to include. So we also have a, a cycle, as, as a lot of companies do, that really defined, you know, goal setting has to be the beginning of our process. We need to have individual development plans. We want to build skills of feedback and coaching, so on and so forth. And then finally, that design group finished with how are we going to measure performance? And we redefined performance measures. And those were the three first steps of the design team. So the philosophy, the model, and then the measures. Those elements gave us a foundation upon which to build. So for phase one, when we launched in April, there was a big change management process where we started to sort of a, um, use a drip campaign to inform employees that a new process was coming. And we gave access to people managers, tools and resources to learn first, so that when it launched to the company, people managers felt informed and they didn't feel behind the, the, the gun to no answers to questions because they got the information on the same day as employees. And then we launched it in early April to the entire company. Tactically, and, and Mary, stop me if I'm giving you too much tactics, but tactically, we started with several different elements. We started with a quick start guide. And this, I'm a really big fan of simplicity, that when you launch something complex like a performance management system, and especially if there's a website, which we have, it's really tough to know where to begin and how to navigate. So we created a quick start guide, which was a one page document that was divided into two hemispheres, one for employees, one for managers, and there were simply four columns, basically the steps that each person would take. Do this first, then this, then this, then this. It included video demos. So short video demos. We, we know that this YouTube generation has a short attention span. So we avoided at all costs, long lectures to train people. Our, our longest video demo, I think is 15 minutes. The rest of them are, are more like five to 10 minutes. We also had self-service tools. Again, this, this generation of self-serve is less interested in signing up to take a class to learn something. So we have on-demand e-learning. Likewise, we have job aids. And this sort of speaks to a blended learning approach to implementation of training. We gave people a lot of different ways to learn. And we turned it on, we launched it in April. And, and now the, well, actually I'll, I'll say one last thing, then again, I'll pause. It was really important to us that the initiative wasn't launched by HR. 
And therefore, our CEO was the one that launched the experience to the company with clear expectations that all employees would begin with setting goals. And here we are now. This is really incredible. And congratulations on the progress. I know it's just the beginning and you'll see how it rolls out. Thanks. It also is a great sort of case study. And here's what you can accomplish in a year at an, you know, at an organization, which is really interesting. You know, Mary, like I said at the beginning, I'm, I'm proud of it. I'm, I'm actually even, this isn't going to sound very humble, but I'm surprised how much work we were able to do and with such high quality in such a short period of time. A lot of it had to do with the support we had from the employees. They did a ton of legwork. And even though they were doing work on top of their day jobs, it was inspiring to them to know they were influencing the lives of the company and helping to make lives easier and better for people. So they were putting in the extra effort. I also should say we simultaneously built a leadership program that coincides and supports performance excellence. And I, if you're, if we have I was time, just about to segue to it. So that's perfect yeah. timing. Yeah. Let's jump into that. What does this look like? Well, what it looks like is a mutually beneficial experience that both supports the growth of our leaders, but likewise enhances the success of performance excellence. So for example, I, I talked a little earlier that what performance excellence means at Magic Leap is this continuous process where people understand that coaching and feedback and checking in through conversations are one of the ways that continuous performance management occurs. Well, of course, our, our employees have to have these skills to know how to do it. So as we've built the leadership program, we've heavily indexed on the skills, not only that will make them better leaders, but will also support performance excellence. And it's, it's been this wonderful dovetail. We've actually been able to utilize the same materials, the same content, the same language. So both programs align just beautifully. What has been the reception to this program so far? So again, we just launched the first workshop of the leadership development program, what, three weeks ago? Anecdotally, the reception's been very positive. Maybe one data point is that it was an application process. At Magic Leap, we have about 200 people managers, and we initially invited people managers as our, our first cohort. And we had 80 apply. We, we, we actually only earmarked 30 to 40 slots as the first cohort. We had 80 people apply. And there was so much interest and so much quality in the applicants that we actually chose 50 to, to go through the first. So 25, or sorry, yeah, 25% of the, the managers at Magic Leap are in this program right now. Yeah, yeah. That's all right. We are not in the industry of math. That is... <laughs> On my, um, yeah, on, on my on my best day, I'm not doing fraction. Now, now I've had the trust equation gaff, and now this one as well. No, I mean, I, I think that you actually got both of them absolutely correct. <laughs> so, so this is you mentioned earlier, and I just want to touch on this quickly before we run out of time. That today's generation doesn't like to sign up for <laughs> classes, and yeah. now we're doing this workshop program. Can you bridge that gap for me? Yeah, for sure. And, and so this, this is also a, an interesting reality of the pandemic. This is, a, this is the first leadership pro program or experience that I've ever built or delivered that is completely virtual. 
we have created an experience that is not dependent upon instructor-led training. We have, again, we've got videos, we've got demos, we've got self-led tools. However, there really is no replacing the interpersonal connection of people learning from others. So our workshop is heavily reliant upon small breakout rooms via video chat. So it's, it's a very, probably these days, predictable training experience. Little bit of conversation, break out into small groups. Little bit of conversation, break out into small groups. And a lot of it is practice in those conversations. And then of course the program is built in the cohort model where you learn a skill during one workshop, you go out, you have a small learning group, peer cohort, you practice the skill, you journal, you reflect, you talk about it with your learning group, you apply what you've learned with your teams, then you come back in, out, in, out, rinse, repeat. That does bridge the gap, which is, I, I was going to ask because we've seen the opposite, right? We've seen, not the opposite, but the, we've seen a demand for people wanting those one-to-one learning environments through coaching, really understand like something that's just hyper relevant. But then we've also seen this idea of, well, I'm curious what my peers are doing. What are the other people in my role doing elsewhere? And so we have some fun things coming up on board to, to serve that because that interaction with peers who are facing the same types of challenges and might have unique perspectives that they can't get in a book or they can't get in a, in a pre-recorded video. It's so valuable. I hope that works out for you. Thanks. Yeah. And you, you've actually just you utilized the the design principle of the program, which is the 70-20-10 model of people learn best while doing. So while there are some workshops, the the learning through others, the 20%, and likewise the learning while doing, the 70% are critical for people to learn, adopt, and reflect on the skill. Reflection is a big part of the program as well. I mentioned journaling. We're really challenging people to synthesize what they've learned by reflecting rather than just doing it and not asking themselves if it's working or not. That reflection will be really great for them to have in the future. Is it truly just like journal in your own space or did you actually create a now I'm getting to the weeds. Yeah, no worries. We, <laughs> we, we are using a framework. It isn't just, hey, go, you know, write on the back of a napkin. Although, frankly, even if they are only writing on the back of a napkin, that's, that's more meaningful than not. But we did give them a framework. And uh, part of that framework is, is the accountability measure of being in a, in a learning group with peers and sharing their individual development plans and talking about what they're learning and practicing. That's, that's really great. We are out of time, but I do have one last question, which is what resources do you lean on to stay sharp in your space? Probably the things you might expect, books, people, a network, making mistakes. Honestly, some of the, the best learning in my career has been trying not to replicate mistakes that I've made, but you know, speaking with smart people like you and always staying humble, not, not to believe that I've learned everything that I need to know, but truly believing I have a lot more to learn. Tim, thank you so much for making the time to share your knowledge. You have such deep expertise in organizational development and design, and I am very grateful for you to spend this time with our audience. Where can our listeners find you? Oh, well, I'm on LinkedIn and certainly would welcome chats or phone calls or, or meetings. I, I'm an extrovert, as you might guess, and there are no strangers in the world to me, only a bunch of friends I haven't met yet. So reach out, would love to, to chat and, and build a relationship. Well, thank you for making the time. We'll put all of this information in the show notes and hopefully we'll have you back in a year. Thanks, Mary. Appreciate it. 
Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts on Stitcher, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts. Head over to levelingup.co to join our newsletter and to find past episodes.